Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I am Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you will hear our passion for the gospel and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus Christ can bring. Today, I'll be preaching on Rosemont's new mission and vision. In this five-week series, I'll be revealing Rosemont's mission, values, strategy, measures, and vision for 2020. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and that it will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's begin our time today. We are um, at the end of our series of our church's mission and vision. And to share uh, with us as an introduction, I've asked Erica Weeks to come and to share with us this morning. Erica was on our vision team, and I would be a missed to say that uh, this has been a good year for Erica. Um, She has recently been engaged to Owen Madison back there. Sorry, bud. Um, Yeah. Man, we're happy for Erica and Owen. And uh, but share with us um, your your thoughts this morning. So rolling out a vision in 2020 is what I would consider just perfect timing. I was really honored to be a part of this um, strategic planning process and with this team, a team of people who I can vouch for, love God with all their hearts and souls. Throughout this process, though, um, we had some really, really hard discussions. We really struggled with the concept of what it means for this church to move forward and for myself. I personally had to reflect on what it meant for every one of us to look just like me. What if all of us look like me as a Christian walking out our faith in this community? And from a bigger perspective than that, what does it mean for every church in this world to look just like us? What change happens in this world if every church in the world looks just like Rosemont Baptist Church? So I struggled with, if I truly believe that Christ has saved my life and I'm set free as a result of this work, if I truly believe that I'm loved, and therefore I'm set free to love others, no matter how different they are from me, what does that look like? I even asked myself, um, well, I already said that, sorry, I'm really nervous, you guys. (laughs) So linking the mission, values, strategy, and measures together in a meaningful way that does what it is intended to do, which is bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Christ, might seem a little nebulous at first, and for me, I need to know what does that mean for me to do. But the world can feel a little overwhelming right now, and the idea that we as a church and we as individuals can have impact is a lot. The good news is, is it's not up to us. It's just up to us to be faithful in what we are called to do. The good news is that it's not our concern how big that challenge might be. Our role is simply to faithfully introduce the people around us to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. It starts with one, one person whose life is void of the life-changing power of Christ, one person whose understanding of love is limited to just what this world has shown them, one person who I can identify in my life as someone who God desperately seeks to love and be loved by. So for me, identifying this one person has taken a little bit of thought. I don't know just one person who I have to introduce. I know a lot. Every single day, people cross my path that don't know him. And I know what that means to me, what he's done through me. And the thought of, of these people around us in this community, in this world, going through life and not knowing his life-changing power. So with that concept behind this vision of who is your one, I ask you, who is your one? Who's your many? Look around this room at all of us and the impact that we individually can have. If God blessed the loaves and fishes with what little they brought him, how much will he 
bless the work that we are able to accomplish moving forward as this church, as Rosemont Baptist Church. Thank you, Erica, for that um, introduction to our vision. The idea of who is your one is what we're going to talk about. And we're going to be in John chapter 4 to kind of launch off into that. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there or turn on your phone or you can watch on the screen. But we're going to read in John chapter 4 where Jesus is leaving Galilee, going to Jerusalem, and on the way he stops through Samaria. I'm going to start in verse 3. I'm going to go through 38. I'm not going to cover this whole passage, but we are going to read about it. We heard a sermon on this several weeks ago um, about the four conversations that we should be having when uh, Brother Tim Corbin was here. But I just want to kind of give the context of this. And so listen to the story as we read it. So John chapter 3, sorry, John chapter 4, starting in verse 3. It says this, speaking of Jesus. He left Judea and went away into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And that means in biblical times, about noon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with from the well, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You've you've said correctly, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you, you now have is not your husband. Thus you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain or in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews." But an hour is coming, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the man, come and see 
a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four more months and then come the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look onto the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Let me pray over our verses this morning. Our Father in heaven, God, I come to you now and ask that you would just work in a special way today. I pray you would give each one here a burden for one, at least one, who doesn't know you. And I pray that that you would work through us to bring salvation to our one who needs you. Move in a special way today, and I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Over the last four weeks, I've been articulating our our mission and our vision. And and we have have created something of a framework for which we're going to do ministry. We said our mission is going to be, can you say it with me, passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be about. That's what we are about. And we said that we do that because of what we value. We value, uh, and you can follow along on your little sheet, we value extending courageous grace, teaching biblical truth. We, we value um, nurturing spiritual growth depending wholly upon God, living God's love and depending wholly on God. We said we're going to do this through a strategy of first engaging somebody. And then once we engage somebody, we're going to help them to grow through worship, through connecting, through service. And then we want them to thrive. And we said thriving is a measure by which we know God's working. And that is to say the that's an acronym for transformed by God's word, helping others know Jesus, responsive to the Holy Spirit, increasing in faith, a vibrant prayer life, exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit and serving empowered by God's Spirit. We said this is the framework of our ministry here. These four attributes is our missional framework. It will guide us, direct us in the ministry we do here at Rosemont, and they're a common frame of reference to see where God's taking us together as a body. They help define who we are, what we're all about. And the frame, though, is only as useful as the picture is in it. I'm going to guess none of you have went to the store, bought a frame, and hung it up on the wall with nothing in it. Right? And say, look at my beautiful frame that I have. No, you have the frame only to show the picture. And the picture that we were trying to build here is what we would call our vision. And as the vision team prayed and thought and dreamed, they asked the question this what would it look like if 40% of our church would commit to engage with one person each? Not 40% of us all engage the same person. 40% of us each engage one person. And we said, we're going to pray for that person. And we're going to commit to know that person and love on that person like Christ loved that person. And we're going to talk to them about spiritual things when the opportunity arises and when there is opportunity to share the gospel with them. But to genuinely care for them and love them. So they said, what would it look like if we asked the question, who is your one? 
And I want you to envision Rosemont Baptist Church a year from now. I want you to kind of take a minute and think, what would it look like if that happened? And I wonder if you can see what our vision team said they saw. We could see a vibrant, contagious church. A church that is sharing our lives with each other and with others in our community. or, Or elbow deep in their lives because we love them. We saw a church that was making a stronger community, not only in the building, but making our community stronger. We saw, we could see men and women and children who are transformed because each one has experienced a a time with Christ. They have come face to face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ and they were changed. We saw entire families experiencing transformation, freedom from addiction, freedom from depression, and other spiritual strongholds. We see a church that was living out Romans 12, 9 through 13. You can look that up a little bit later, but it's a church that's devoted to loving one another. A church that is fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, devoted to prayer. Romans 12, 9 through 13. I truly, believe, I truly believe that's where God is taking us. And I believe it begins with the power of one. And I'm going to talk about that today using this passage. I want to first talk about the intentionality of reaching one. And I want you to look in verse 4 of, of John chapter 4. The intentionality of reaching one. Because John 4, 4 says this, He had to pass through Samaria. I want you to see the intentionality of Jesus in this verse. He had to go through Samaria. It's a powerful word, that word had. I'll talk about that in a minute, but the point here is that Jews didn't go down through Samaria. In Jesus' time, normally the Jews who were up in Galilee who needed to go down to Jerusalem would find a path around Samaria. That's because of Samaritans' past and, the, and the, the mixing of not only races, but more importantly, that, that Samaritans had their own religious culture. That was against God's law. And the Jews said, we want no part of that, especially after they came back from the Babylonian, Empire, Babylonian captivity, that they said, we need to make sure that this never happens again. And so they, they made sure they had no dealings with the Samaritans. They were unclean. They were not people who followed God's law, even though they shared a common ancestry. Jews did not go down through Samaria, but it says here, Jesus had to go down through Samaria. Not around it, not avoiding it. He needed to go right down through it. The word he had to, like I said, is a powerful word. John uses it a couple of times even before this chapter. And I want to show you how he uses that. In John 3, 14, it says this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's the same word there. When John the baptizer was talking about Jesus in John 3.30, John said, he must increase and I must decrease. It's the same word. It was a necessity that Jesus be lifted up onto the cross and our sins be nailed to the cross on him. It was a necessity It was a necessity that Jesus become more and John the baptizer and us become less. And it was a necessity for Jesus to go through Samaria. A.W. Pink, who was a 20th century Bible teacher, early 20th century Bible teacher, he said, from all eternity, it has been ordained that he should go through Samaria. Why was it necessary? Why was it ordained that Jesus have to go through Samaria? Because there was a woman there, a woman of questionable character, which is a nice way to say she was enslaved and engulfed in sin and had no way out. 
And Jesus says, I need to go through Samaria because there's one there who needs me. And so he goes and finds a sinful woman there because the Redeemer God wanted to save her. God wanted this one sinful woman to come face to face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. The Father was intentionally reaching this woman. And Jesus says, I always do what my Father wants. He said in verse 34, that my food is to do the will of him who sent me. It is Jesus' will or his food, the way he stays sustained is to do what God wants him to do. He says in John 8, 29, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So the father was intentional in reaching this one woman. And Jesus then, because the father is intentional about reaching them, Jesus is intentional about reaching this one woman. And Jesus tells us we need to be intentional about reaching one person. The the Great Commission is not a suggestion. The Great Commission is is a command. And he says in Mark 16, this is Mark's version of the Great Commission, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This is, this is Mark's version of the Great Commission. And Jesus isn't saying, go out into the world, and if you accidentally bump into somebody, and you get the opportunity, see if you can remember to share the gospel with them. That is not it intentionally go into the world and intentionally preach the gospel to everyone that you intentionally come in contact with. That's kind of the idea. That's a little overwhelming, isn't it? To preach to everyone. So I'm asking you to be intentional about one. Maybe you can think of three or four people. Fantastic. That is great. But what about one? Can you say, I know one person, I know their name, their face is popping in my head right now, who I know doesn't know Christ, and they're in my circle of influence. One person you can specifically and intentionally reach out to. Why is it important that Jesus meet this one? Why did our vision team make such a fuss about reaching one Why do I keep asking you to intentionally pray for and engage one? Because there's a truth that I can't get around. In Revelation 2015, it says this, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The reality of life is that we all spend eternity somewhere whether you believe it or not. And at the great white throne of judgment, those who have died rejecting Christ, never accepting the forgiveness he has freely given them, they will be judged guilty and thrown into hell. And that is not my words, that's the words of the all-righteous, almighty judge who wrote the book. And that thought drives me, and it should drive all of us, that every person in this town will stand before the righteous judge of Christ. And if they have not accepted Christ, they will spend eternity in torment, a place of pain, what the Bible says, weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of eternal fire, yet darkness, a place devoid of hope, a place devoid of peace, a place devoid of God. The Bible calls it the second death. And the message that we have is the ticket out of there. But how will they ever know if we don't talk with them? If we don't engage them? Jesus came into Samaria to find this one woman and engage her in conversation. That upends her life here, we'll find out. He intentionally reached out to the one. We must be intentional about reaching out to one, at least. There's an intentionality of reaching one, and I want to talk about the importance 
of reaching one. Verse 23, Jesus says this, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. See, it might seem like Jesus was just walking into Samaria and he just happened along this well and just decided, I'll sit here. And this woman just coincidentally came and bumped into her, bumped into him. And so Jesus began a conversation with her and just so happened that the conversation turned to spiritual things. And so Jesus talked about the gospel. It may seem like that, but that is not the truth of the situation. The truth is God was seeking her. God was seeking out that woman because that's what God does. It's important to reach out to one because God is seeking out sinners to turn into worshipers because that's what we were. We were sinners. We are sinners. And God has moved us by his grace into worshipers of him. So it might seem like he was just coincidentally bumping into her, but God was seeking her, and that's why he sent Jesus. Jesus himself said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to, what? Seek and to save that which was lost. He came out to seek those who were lost, those who could not find their way to God, which, by the way, is all of us. We can't, we can't do it. We think we can through religious works. We think we can by being good or reading enough Bible, but we can't find our way to God. It is only through Jesus Christ that we have uh, the bridge between us and God. And, And Jesus knows that, so he seeks out people to save. In Luke 15, the Father is presented as one who searches, who goes out and seeks. We have three parables that Jesus tells in rapid succession. And the creator God, who is the redeemer God, is presented as the shepherd who is searching for his one lost sheep. He is the widow searching for the one coin of great value. He is the father searching for the one son who has left home and and is living life the way he wants to. And these stories end, and specifically the story of the the prodigal son ends, the the searching father parable ends by saying, we have had, in Luke 15, 32, we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and he has been found. The father is seeking those who are lost. He is seeking out those who he wants to turn into worshipers. It's important to note that when the task of intentionally reaching this woman, he didn't, over, he didn't gloss over her sin. Jesus pointed out, hey, there is good news, and the only reason there's good news is because there is bad news. And the bad news is this woman was enslaved into sin and needed freedom. And he did not fail to point out the sin in her life. Because Mark 2.17 says this, And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So like the Old Testament prophets, like Isaiah, we are to call out sin when we see it. Not as those who are better than everyone else, but those who say, I know what it's like to be enslaved in sin. And I know a way out. We're to be like Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 58.1. Cry loudly. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. We're to call out sin when we see sin. But not as those who have got it all figured out. We still wrestle with sin. And the only good that we have within us is Jesus Christ 
who has taken away our sin and has nailed it to the cross. We know what it's like to be enslaved into sin, but we also know what it's like to know the Savior who specializes in freeing people from it. And so we are to go where people are enslaved and say, I know the way out. I know your sin. I was there. And the only way you have hope, the only way there is freedom is trusting in Christ and placing your life in his hands and saying the work he did on the cross is the forgiveness that I'm looking for and the hope that I'm looking for because I can never be good enough. And so we go where people are enslaved and help them find freedom. In 1940, and sorry, 1849, Harriet Tubman said, I'm done being a slave, you know. And she left Maryland and traveled 90 miles in the Underground Railroad to get to freed Pennsylvania so that she could be free. And when she crossed over into the free state of Pennsylvania, she said this, when I found I had crossed that line, I looked at my hands to see if I was the same person. There was such a glory over everything. The sun came like gold through the trees, over the fields, and I felt like I was in heaven. Do you imagine tasting freedom for the very first time in your life? But instead of staying safe in the north and basking in her freedom, saying, boy, isn't it good that I'm free? She started making trips back into the south. And from 1850 to 1860, Harriet Tubman made 19 trips back down to where there were slaves so she could rescue her parents and her siblings and other people who were enslaved down there. And she led 300 people over those 19 trips through the Underground Railroad into freedom. She earned the nickname Moses, right, for being someone known about leading people from slavery into freedom. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is our Moses. That's the whole story of Moses. It's a picture of what Jesus did, taking us from the slavery of sin into the freedom through the blood of the Lamb. That is the whole point. How important was it for Harriet Tubman to help people from slavery into freedom? It's incredibly important. And I know it's not the same thing, but our task is as important and the consequences are greatly, are, are vastly greater than that. We are talking about the eternal destination of those we love, of those we live around, those in our community. We, are, we, we go to people who are enslaved and say, I was enslaved too, but I know the way to freedom. Let me introduce you to Jesus. Let him rule in your life. What kind of impact would it have in the life of the person you know who doesn't need Jesus to find out there is a path out of slavery? It's important to reach out to one. It's important that we intentionally reach one, but I also want to talk about the ignoring of reaching one. I'm going to point out a couple of verses here. I'm probably reading in between the lines a bit, but I want you to follow along with me, see if you see what I see. John 4, 8, it says this, His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Jesus is there at the well. He sends the men off to buy food. And then you look at chapter 4, verse 27 and 28. At this point, his disciples came, and they're amazed that he'd been speaking with a woman, yet no one said what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? And it says, so the woman left her water pot and went into the city. And I'll, I'll continue that in a little bit. I don't know if you see what I'm seeing, but here's what I see. John, when he's writing this, seems to make the disciples going in the wrong direction the entire time in this story. 
Jesus sent them into the town to buy food, and I realize I could be wrong about this. I don't know why I'd break the streak. I'm wrong about everything, so I might as well be wrong about this too. But I think they were going into town to buy food. And while they were going into town to buy food, it sounds to me like the woman was leaving town to go to the well. And here are 12 of Jesus' best followers, the ones he's going to give his ministry to at some point in time, and we have no record of them engaging this woman as she passes. These 12 men are in town to buy food, and they're in there for some time, it sounds like, and they go and take care of business. And there's a whole town here who might have heard about Jesus. Sounds like she knew that there was a Messiah that was coming. But they didn't know the Messiah. They did. And here are Jesus' 12 best guys in town, and it doesn't sound like they had one conversation with anybody that says, hey, by the way, the Messiah's out at Jacob's well. Just thought you'd like to know. Not one discussion we hear about it. And then they're walking back, and they get close enough to see that Jesus is with a woman, and she picks up and runs away, and it says they don't even say, hey, what are you looking for? passes them again. I realize we're hard on the disciples. That's only because they're so much like us, right? (laughs) I see a bunch of Jesus followers in this story that are flat out ignoring those who need Jesus. Ignoring those who are ready to hear about Jesus. We're going to see that in a minute. Who are anxious to meet him who will accept him when they hear about him, but are never told about him. Because they're flat out ignoring those who need him. We don't want to be a church that ignores those who need Christ. And simply asking you to take one person, think about that person, pray for that person, engage in a relationship with that person, We're moving from a posture of ignoring to engagement. That's why it's important. It's my understanding that one in four people who are unchurched would be resistant to a faith discussion. And that means 75% of people are open to the discussion. And we've talked ourselves out of saying, I can't have a faith discussion with them because they may not agree with me, they may not accept me. Now, if that person has a cold or needs surgery, we don't have a problem telling them what medicines they should take, what medicines they shouldn't take, what doctor they should see, when they should go there, what, you know, how to do, we got no problem telling them all kinds of unsolicited advice when that happens, but when, we need that kind of boldness when it comes to their spiritual condition. Where we say, listen, I know that you don't have Christ and I have the answer to your problem. And it's not because of me, but because I've met the guy who can help you. We simply cannot ignore the spiritual problem in our community. I, I just got news the other day that a, a gentleman who's been in our worship services more than once committed suicide just recently. We, we cannot ignore that any longer. There are people who have been in our worship services on a, on a not regular basis, but periodically. They've been here. They know us who have given up living for God and are living with, with someone else, living in sin outside of marriage. And we simply cannot ignore that anymore. There are people who have, there's, there's a, people who've been in our worship services, just like we're having today, and have made poor life decisions and are now enslaved in a homosexual lifestyle and we cannot ignore it anymore. It is too important. And I'm asking you to say, commit to one person. And by committing to a person, you're saying, I'm done ignoring it. I'm going to intentionally 
pray for a person by name. And I'm going to find out about that person, how I can minister to that person. And I'm going to love on that person. And we've moved from ignoring to engagement because that engagement can change the life of that person. And listen, we have no idea of the impact that would have. And that's what I want to talk about next, the impact of reaching one. Jesus reached out to this one woman. He told her he was the Messiah, the one God had sent to save the world, and she believed it. And her life was changed. Look what immediately she did in John 4, 29 and 30. She says, come see a man who told me all the things that I've done. This isn't the Christ, is he? And they went out of the city and they were coming to him. That word, that that phrase, were coming to him, it's an intense, that, that means that the crowd grew in intensity as more and more came. She came in and talked to some men because that's, It sounds like who she had the most influence with, if you know what I mean. This was a woman who was engulfed in sin. And she talked to those in her sphere of influence. And they said, let's go see. And as they were going, they talked to some people and said, we're going to go see someone who might be the Messiah. And as more and more came, more and more were told. And pretty soon, many, it says, starts running out of the city to see the Messiah. And listen, this is what's going on. Again, the disciples got their back to the crowd. They're all kind of gathered around Jesus. And he says, guys, you said four more months and then we can harvest. He says, turn around, fellas. Look, look what's going on behind you. They turn around and they see what seems like the entire town running out to see Jesus. They were in town, 12 of them getting food, then not had one discussion, but This one woman went into town and the entire town is running out to see him. And look what it says in John 4, 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him. Listen, why? Because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things I had done. Her word and many from that city believed. And so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him stay with, to stay with them. He stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to this woman, listen to what it says. It's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. One woman One woman told them, and for two days, everyone went around and said, you got to listen to this Jesus, and Jesus changed, and how, and she'd go to people, Jesus changed me from the inside out, you got to know this. And many came because of the testimony of the woman, and then they said, it's not just because of that, because we're hearing it ourselves, we know that he is the savior of the world. They were changed. What's the impact of the one? The impact of the one is the fruit, whatever the Spirit wants it to be. John 12, 24 says this, Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, look what it says, it bears much fruit. When we give our lives to Christ and say, I want you to be the king of my life. I want you to direct my conversations. I want you to direct my relationships. It's like a kernel of corn going into the ground, and that corn produces a stalk, and that stalk produces lots of ears of corn with hundreds of kernels on it. It's fruit. It's the fruit that Christ produces. You cannot know the impact of reaching your one. But the question is, will you follow Jesus? In in Matthew 16, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, anyone here want to follow after Jesus? Look at what he says. 
He must deny himself, take up his cross, the instrument of death, and follow me. And what does it mean to follow Jesus? He told, he told the disciples in Matthew 4.19, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Those who seek after those who need Christ. One woman came face to face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. She was responsible for many people in the town hearing about Jesus. Jesus stayed for two days. The town was changed. Here's a Samaritan church that, that was considered unclean and, and the people unsavable. And Jesus comes in and through one woman, a town is changed. I haven't talked here today about intentionally reaching one, the importance of reaching one, the, the danger of ignoring one, and the potential impact of reaching one. And so I have one question for you. Who is your one? I'd like you to close your eyes. And I'd like you to think about that. I'm going to start some prayers plural and our response time is going to be different today I'd like you to spend some time silently thinking about these prayers I'm going to start them and I want you to continue them silently in your heart Father place in my heart right now the name and face of one person I know who doesn't know you. I want you to continue that prayer in the silence of your heart. Lord, I ask right now, you clearly bring into our minds the name and the face of those you have ordained for us to engage. God, I pray you would begin to move in visible and real ways that'll help us know how to engage our one. I want you to continue in prayer. Would you begin to pray for that person right now? continue in prayer you continue with me and you put the person's name in these prayers Lord this person doesn't know you and that means if he or she dies they will spend eternity in hell separated from you but you said you are the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through you continue in this prayer break our hearts for the lost forgive us for ignoring them and their need for you break our hearts over our sin and over the sin of our community God break our hearts and use that to drive us to passionately bring people face to face with the life changing power of Jesus Christ continue in your prayers continue in prayer use the person's name as we pray this God would you break my heart over this person would you place a godly love for this person in my heart that will drive me to pray for them and to minister to them 
so that they can see your love through me. Continue to pray this prayer. God, we know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's so many people around us who need to know that. God, would you drive a deep desire in our hearts for our one person to know you? Would you compel us fervently and passionately to pray for that person? To pray for our one each and every day so that they would come to a place where they would surrender their lives to you. God, would you use us here at Rosemont to be people who would help people move from slavery into the freedom that only you can provide? Would you let us see fruit from our lives, those who have been committed to you? We know the field of Montrose is ripe for harvest. And God, we've been praying for workers and we are the workers we have been praying for. Would you bring a harvest of souls here? God, this is not for our glory, but for yours so that you can find the worshipers that you are seeking for. So that you will find your lost sheep, you will find your lost sons and daughters. Would you work in us this year, God, through simply committing to reaching out to one? And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you live in western Colorado or are visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 10.45 a.m., but if you come a little earlier, we'll always have some coffee and snacks and good fellowship before we begin our worship service. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.